Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Promise, we're looking at the nativity story to see how wrestling with longing can help us eliminate hurry from our lives. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Didi Bacon. So in uh, 2015, I returned to the land of my birth, Zimbabwe, Africa. It had been uh, 26 years since I had returned. So last time I was there in 1989. The reason for my return was that my father was terminally ill, and he passed away in that August. So I went to see my dad, and I also went to be there to minister to my mom. And to say that being back after 26 years was a shock to the system, I believe would be an understatement. Um, When I arrived, to be honest with you, not only was the journey grueling, it's like massively long plane flight and driving and all just rigmarole going through that. But what was really shocking to me was the state of that country. I mean, it was in deplorable condition, which is quite sad. If you're familiar with the story of Zimbabwe, you will know that Zimbabwe was once the breadbasket of the region, and now it's become the begging bowl. And the condition of things that that I grew up with as a staple, running water, electricity, uh, paying jobs, uh, good roads, good schools, all that was just rotting and in decay and a complete mess. While the country was a mess, I was so very impressed by the people, though, particularly the Jesus followers, which are a plenty in Zimbabwe, their optimism, their hope. At the time, they were living under a dictator, and the way they would tell me is, you know, what we know is that that dictator is the most prayed-for man in the country. It was truly inspiring. A great sense of humor and how to deal things. One of the, the jokes they have in Zimbabwe is, is that in most countries, in all other countries, If you're seen driving on the road like this, swarming all over the place, inevitably you're going to be pulled over on suspicion of being drunk. In other words, most people drive straight in all the countries of the world, except in Zimbabwe, it's the opposite. And the reason it's opposite is because of the condition of the roads of the potholes. The potholes. In Zimbabwe, it says if you drive straight, it means you must be drunk. Because no one drives straight in their right mind over those kind of roads. You all drive swerving. That's just how they are. That's just how they are. A phrase that kept coming up over and over and over while I was there, and it was really resonated with me. A phrase when I talked to people there, whether, you know, wherever they were, one of the things they kept saying is, well, in Zimbabwe, we live with this motto we make a plan. We make a plan. And so if the electricity is not running, it comes on, it comes off, it comes on, it comes off, well, we make a plan. We figure out to find a generator of some type or we, you know, lo- you know stock up on candles so we can, you know, have light or we, we figure it out how to survive. If the water is on and off and on and off, the water's bad, we make a plan. We dig wells and we store containers of water in our houses. We make a plan. Dealing with the crisis in Zimbabwe, 
they make a plan. They help each other, they work with each other, and they try to figure out how is it that they can eke out a living, how they can survive, because they make a plan. And I love that. I, I just love that phrase in particular, because it, it sits well with me, because guess what? I'm a planner. And I often find myself in conversations at home with my family, with, with people at church, wherever. I'm like, okay, we'll make a plan. What's for dinner? I don't know. Let's make a plan. What can we do for Christmas? Well, let's sit down and make a plan. Set up a budget. Uh, what are you going to do next year? Well, I'm figuring that I'm going to make a plan. You want to get fit? Oh, yeah, I do. I'm going to make a plan. And so I've become really all about making a plan, which is good, right? And those of you that are like, yeah, I get you, Didi. I resonate. I see some of you nodding your heads like you're planners as well. You make plans. You write down lists. You have goals. You have calendars. You have those things laid out. Those, those of you are like, yes, I get you. And then there's others that are like, eh, I'm not so much like that. I go with the flow, whatever. Well, going with the flow is still a plan. It's a bad one, but it's still a plan. Bottom line is we all have a plan. We all have intention for the future, and we have a means by which we get towards where we want to go. We are folks that have wants and needs that project out in front of us. We make a plan. Even those of you that are like, I'm such a free spirit. Well, you're making a plan by doing that. It's good to have a plan. It's how we're to progress. That's how we're to be successful. That's how we're to be productive. We make a plan. I get into trouble, though, is when I have a plan and I get too crazy about my plan, and if I have to change a step in the plan, I become really grumpy and not very nice sometimes. I mean, it really raises up the, the argumentative nastiness. I get into trouble. Last summer, Shan and I were traveling to Atlanta. We left Sunday morning off the church, so it was Sunday afternoon. We weren't really in a much of a rush. We had all Sunday to travel. The goal was to get to the hotel Sunday night because our commitments were on Monday. And so we were going to travel down 75 South. And I don't know if you've done that, that trip. It is a horrible road. 75 South, everything is always crazy, insane. Who knows what's going to happen on 75 South. But I had a plan. The plan was to go down 75 South, get to the exit, get off the exit, get to the hotel, get to bed, you know, because that's me. I have a plan. I have a goal. Well, my wife hates 75 South, and she hates even more being stuck in traffic. Uh, I mean, if you want to get Shannon crazy, you know, if you want to torture Shannon, if, if there was such a thing as purgatory, for Shannon, it would be stuck in traffic. I mean, she, she hates it. So she has these apps, and she's always checking these apps to make sure we know exactly what's happening like 100 miles ahead of us so we know if we're going to get stuck in traffic. So she had this, this app, and it's signaled, as always, 75 South, particularly as you get closest to Atlanta. There was an accident. There was something going on. Traffic was backed up. She's like, we cannot do this. And then she suggested, hey, look, there's a detour. There's a way we can get around it. There's a drive in the country which will be longer, but we'll keep moving because we won't be stuck in traffic. And so she made a suggestion that we take a detour. <laughs> and so I took her suggestion, but I was not happy. I was a big baby, to be honest with you. 
And I complained, and I argued, and I used lines like, you know, shortcuts make long delays. Why are we doing this? This is stupid. When are we going to get there? When do we get back to 75? Because I had a plan, and a change to the plan was freaking me out. Because I had a plan. 75 to the exit to the hotel. This detour was not in the plan. You guys feeling me? Men, you know what I'm saying? You ever had those suggestions? Yeah, we got it. <laughs> Needless to say, and I'm saying this out loud, she was right. You can, I'm, I'm just making a pause that. My wife was right. See, I'm beginning some points here. My wife was right. I said it three times now. <laughs> She was right. It was a beautiful drive. We went through parts of the Georgia countryside that I didn't know existed. Some beautiful scenery. Rain clouds had come in, the storms had come in, and while we're driving through, I had some of the most beautiful, picturesque landscape, and there was a double rainbow. You know what? I would have completely missed that. I would have completely missed that hadn't I, had I not been open to change the plan. Had I not been open to listen to the suggestion. See, the problem with having a plan is, is that sometimes we have good plans, but the good plans keep us from making right adjustments to have a better plan, to find a better way. And this applies, I think, to our walk of faith as well. Jesus' number one invitation to those whom he wanted to become his disciples was what? Follow me. Follow me. And that invitation still stands. Jesus is still asking us to follow him. And as we become Jesus followers, as we become disciples of Jesus, as we give ourselves to following Jesus, what we're told is that God partners with us in life by the presence of his spirit who walks with us empowers us and gives us what we need to have life to its fullest. We walk with God. That's what Paul says. It's, a, it's his favorite line, walk in the Spirit, walk with God, walk in faith. And the idea is that we walk with God, and in that walking, what we do is we partner in life, submitting our steps to Him. Though we make plans, the steps of life belong to God if we are a Jesus follower. We make our plans, but God directs our steps. But that's where the issue becomes, is as we're walking through life, we have our plan, and if God prompts us to take a detour or take a step outside of our plan, we begin to get grumpy about it. We begin to struggle with that. We begin to argue and resist. We begin to deal with a crisis that forces us to say, do I trust and obey? For there's no other way. As I read the Christmas story, I'm encouraged by a part of the story that captures this dilemma somewhat. In the story of Joseph, Joseph, the man who was betrothed, the fiancé of Mary, and that story is captured in the Gospel of Matthew. 
Gospel of Matthew. It's interesting that Luke, the Gospel of Luke, gives the Christmas story from Mary's perspective, the woman's perspective, and Matthew gives the Christmas story from the man's perspective. So you've got Joseph's side of the Christmas events. And what we find is, is that you look at the story of Joseph recorded in the Gospel of Matthew regarding the details of the birth of Jesus, and immediately what I see in Joseph was that he's a planner. You know, us planners can pick up other planners just like that. We recognize it. We see in the story that Joseph was a planner, right? Joseph was a planner. How do I know he's a planner? Well, when we catch up in the text in Matthew, when we catch up in the story of Joseph in Matthew, what we see is that Matthew tells us that Joseph was about preparing to be married to Mary. Now, I've explained this before. The way it worked in the first century was this. This is the engagement process. Two families had a conversation about bringing one son and one daughter together. They made an arrangement. They were arranged marriages that involved negotiations, and it was a legal process, a dowry, money involved. But when a man was betrothed to a woman, the engagement began, and and it was considered, because it was a legal arrangement, it was considered that at that point, and as fiancé, they were married. But once they were engaged, then the work began in that the man would then go and prepare a place for he and his fiancée to live when she became his wife. And typically, the man would go and build a place, a residence that was connected to his family residence next to his father's house. And once that place was ready, then the the groom would come in procession and collect his bride, and he would take her to that place. There would be a ceremony, consummation, and then the celebration that could go on for days. That was the process. Formal engagement, preparation, process of of going in, collecting the bride, bringing her back, celebration. Well, Mary and Joseph, at the time of the story that we get in Matthew, Mary and Joseph was in this preparation phase. Joseph was still working to prepare a place for Mary. And he was working the plan, right? He was a good, godly Jew living in Nazareth. It says it's a carpenter. Carpenter in those days basically was a, a term that referred to a, a builder, a laborer. He was working to prepare a place to bring Mary. He was working the plan. She was a a godly, righteous girl, and he was a godly, righteous man. Things were working well. They were doing everything correctly. The plan was going along smoothly until when? Until Mary was visited by an angel. And the angel tells Mary, Mary, you have been selected by God to be the one whom the Holy Spirit will come upon and you will conceive a child. That child will be a son. That son is to be called Jesus. Jesus means God saves. And Jesus will be the Messiah promised to the people of Israel. He will be the Savior of the world. He will be the Christ. Now, I don't know about you. It's not described in the Bible, but can you imagine the conversation between Mary and Joseph? 
I mean, talk about tension. Talk about difficulty. Hi, Joseph. I, I have to tell you something. I'm pregnant. But I'm still a virgin. I didn't cheat on you. I'm pregnant by God. This angel appeared to me and said this, this, and this. Talk about change of plan. Talk about coming out of left field. I wonder about Joseph, of how he felt about this. Confused. Mary, you're the best person I know. You never lied to me. But pregnant by God? I wonder if he thought that something's happened, that this, this poor girl has lost her mind. Whatever he was going through, Joseph's mind and heart processing what was happening. What you see is the planner steps up because how does he respond? He comes up with a plan, right? It says he had plans to divorce her quietly, divorce her quietly, so that in discretion she could have this baby without too much fuss and embarrassment. He came up with a plan, but God sent an angel to speak to Joseph in his dream and said, Joseph... Joseph, Mary's telling the truth. This is of me. And this child is special. And I need you. I need you to adjust your plan. I need you to submit your plan to my plan. I need you to change your direction and come my direction. I need you to submit the steps, take her on as your wife early. That's why people were talking. Hey, I thought you were going to be married at this time, and now you're married at that time, and oh, she had a baby. Oh, I get it. But the Bible says that Joseph responded. The Bible tells us, following Scripture here, What does it say? What did Joseph do? It says, Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And so Greg kind of mentioned it today. The goal of our Christmas series is to consider Advent season an opportunity to evaluate our lives and ask ourselves if we're plagued by hurry, if hurry and this frenetic, crazy life that we live that robs us of energy and hope and, and connection with God, if, if hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life, how can we look to the Christmas story as providing us opportunities, uh, moments, choices that will help us ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life? And if, if, if Christmas, this Advent season, is an opportunity to do that, maybe the story of Joseph provides us the challenge to say, you know, we have our plans. In fact, 
Christmas is a microcosm of our life. It goes into hyperdrive, right? In Christmas, our plans go into hyperdrive because we want everything perfect. We want the perfect meals. We want the perfect gatherings with the family. We want the perfect present, present, present for the kids so that they will be happy, 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 and everything will be worth it and, and make our craziness and, and our expense uh, just that much worth what we put in. Christmas is a time in which the planning goes into hyperdrive, but in the hyperdrive of our planning, a lot of times I believe we fail to be open to God's prompting to live by faith. We forget that while we have our plans, God directs our step, and faith is a matter of the accumulation of the steps of obedience. Faith is a matter of one step at a time, little or big, being open to the prompts of God to give our plans to Him and submit them to Him when He directs us. And to consider the fact that in our lives we're faced with moments in which we have to choose, do I go my way or do I go God's way? I love her. She's my girlfriend. I believe we're going to get married. So I believe, you know, why not? Let's sleep together. Oh, no. God's plan is you wait so that you might protect that love with a promise of the marriage covenant to keep sex in the right place. Oh, I've got this money, and, and, I, and you know, I was going to give it to God, but oh, this bill came out of left center. I've got to pay this, and I've got to pay that. Well, do I give it, or do I spend it? God asks us to remain faithful in our money, to give, to be generous. I have a choice to make. Do I trust and obey? You know, she really hurt me with the words, I'm really disappointed by his offense. God calls me to forgive and to reach out to him, to her, and to work through the awkward, ugly, messy process of forgiveness and reconciliation. I'm not comfortable. I don't like it. I would rather sweep it under the rug. That would be a better plan for me. But God calls us to dedicate our steps to him. This Christmas, the story of Joseph provides an opportunity for us to evaluate our lives and ask, am I making my plans but not being open to God's direction to my steps? And maybe this Christmas provides an opportunity for us to evaluate that and say, you know, where is it that I can, I can submit the plan to God so that I might have an opportunity to obedient, be obedient to him by faith. Came across this video that I think may capture this for us in, in a real powerful way. It's a video that was about these kids from low-income housing, boys and girl club, and they were given a gift. They were asked, what's your, what's your dream gift? Of course, they had shared it before, but on video, they were told, what's your dream gift? What would you like for Christmas? And they expressed that need. And then uh, they were also then given the second option. But what would your mom or dad, what would your parent, what would their dream gift give, be given? And they expressed that. And then they're given their gift, and then they're given the gift for their parent, and then they're asked this question. You can only choose one. Which gift will you give? And to me, that, that's a, a crisis point that I believe I'd like all of us in considering the, jo the Joseph story to come to. 
a crisis point in which we ask the question, we have our plans, but if God comes into our life and directs us to change that, to make an adjustment in that, what do I choose? Let's enjoy this video. This year for Christmas, what are you hoping to get? A computer. Big, giant Barbie house. A trophy case. Xbox 360. Minecraft Legos. What do you think your mom or dad want for Christmas? My mom would probably want a ring. She's never really had a ring. Jewelry. She loves jewelry. A new TV. My watches. So, we actually did buy an Xbox 360. What in the world? I wanted this! Okay, you you really got this for me? A new laptop. Wow! It's a necklace! So we also bought a necklace because you said you also wanted to get a necklace for your mom or your auntie. The catch is that you can either get a gift for yourself huh? or you can pick a gift for your mom and dad. I need you to pick one. Now, now before you answer, oh, I bet that's hard. Is that a really hard question? Mm-hmm. What gift do you pick? I choose this. I gotta go with the ring. What gift do you pick? That one. That one. That dress. I'll choose this for my mom. I'll choose this one. It's a really tough question. I'll but give him this. You already know? Tell me why. Because Legos don't matter. Lego, your family matters. Not Legos, not toys, your family. So it's either family or Legos, and I choose family. I get gifts every year from my family, and my mom don't get anything. If I get a laptop, my mama wants something. She helps me when I'm sick. She helps me with my homework. She gave me a house to live in. They look out for me and do stuff for me, so I need to give back to them. Now I, I have the opportunity to give them something. Because you actually picked the gift for your family, you're actually gonna go home with both. Tell me how you're feeling. I'm feeling really happy and Why? thankful. Just happy. Thankful. For your family? For what? My family, everything. You did make his decision, actually. And oh he goodness. picked the Pandora Charms. Oh, that is sweet. You're gonna make me cry. So what are you gonna do for me? Oh, it's for me? Oh, it's for you. Guys. Which gift do you choose? It's a biblical concept. It's a practice. It's a practice of the faithful. It's called fasting. Fasting, if you're from Kentucky. How fasting works is this. Is that you choose to give up something that's usually in the plan to eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner. You choose to give that up in order to de dedicate that time, that energy, that focus to connect with God through prayer, through Bible study, through meditation. That's the concept of fasting. And I wonder if we can apply that concept to our plans to Christmas.
inspired by the testimony of those kids. Imagine in our effort to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives, while we can smile about that and think about that and say that, maybe we can make a fasting choice this Christmas to make an adjustment in our plans to do something to honor God. Maybe it's time, Dad, for you to step up this Christmas and to lead the family in prayer before you open the presents because that's what God has called you to do. Maybe you could consider the meal you'll have and the meals you will be eating and say, you know what, how about this? Instead of doing this part of the meal or this meal, let's see if we can prepare a meal for someone in need in the name of Jesus. Or maybe you can get into that awkward conversation with the in-laws, the outlaws, whatever laws you have, and you can say, you know, we would like something for Christmas. We would like it for us before we get all crazy and, 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 you know, insane. And I know religion and politics, but we would like to see if you wouldn't mind if we just read the gospel account to remember what the real meaning of Christmas is all about, that while we're celebrating family, we can need to recognize that it's grounded in faith, that faith comes from the gift of God and Jesus. And if you wouldn't mind, if we could just, before we go crazy into our meals, we just read that together. Or perhaps sit down with the family and say, you know, we've budgeted X, Y, Z on presents. How about this, family? Can we take a present or the money we'd use for a present and go and give it to someone else in need in Jesus? Visit some kids at Ronald McDonald House, City Gospel, I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out to hopefully provide you something to prayerfully consider the answer to the question of this. We make our plans, but God directs our steps. We make our plans, but God directs us. This Christmas, because of the example of Joseph, this Christmas, because of the example of Joseph, I'm going to pursue the answer to the question is, what can I do as a fasting, as a gift? What can I do to put aside my plan and perhaps respond to his plan? What can I do, my family do, this Christmas to make the decision to say, instead of doing something for me, I'm going to do something Jesus, I'm going to do something because of my love for God. And I don't know what that will look like. I don't know what that conversation will end up. But that's the challenge. Lord, will you speak to me? Will you speak to me? This Christmas. The plans of man... We make our plans, but God directs our step. That is a testimony of faith. Faith is the accumulation, the accumulation of the steps of obedience, the single, daily, consistent steps of obedience. Will you make that decision perhaps this Christmas to do something, to remind yourself, to train yourself in that?
ask that we stand. And we'll ask our members of our prayer team to come down, and they're going to be available to pray with you in person if you'd like. They're available to discuss with you if you have questions regarding your spiritual journey, questions regarding your commitment of faith. They're available to help direct you on your next step. I'm going to ask you to stand, and uh, after they're forward, Ellen's here, Bob's here. Let's pray together, and from that time we'll be dismissed. Lord, thanks for this time we can share. Thanks for this time in which we can be together. Thanks for the testimony of Joseph. Thanks for the witness that he provided and the courage that he exhibited. It's amazing to me that Joseph is a factor in the first part of the story, but then disappears. You don't hear much more about him. He submitted himself, his plans, to your plans. He had his plans and sought to live a life honoring you, but in that, uh, he also knew that that life, those plans would mean submitting each step in obedience. And I thank you for that witness, for his part in playing, and I pray that that witness may provide inspiration to each of us and application in our life and our families as we celebrate Christmas, as we not only enjoy the festivity, but more importantly, we take the moment to express our faith in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.